0: Going on in the world. Um, here's a thought for you today. There, There's a lot of conversation out there that we are essentially reliving 1968, but people started making that commentary or that observation in, in uh, 2018. So I don't know how we could still be living in the context of the summer of 1968 for three years, but apparently there are those who think we're still there. Um, and one of the things that you are going to uh, hear and see and read is this... Uh, this idea that President Trump and former Vice President Biden are refighting 1968. And so for those of you who remember 1968, remember um, the streets of America becoming cultural battlegrounds, remember um, what happened in that year politically, um, it'd be interesting for you to give some consideration to how the church responded then and how the church might be prepared to respond now, the kinds of conversations that if we had had them, uh, if, we had known, if we had known in 1968 what we know now about uh, race relations, about the things that are needed in the conversations of the day, about the challenges that, uh, that people face generationally. Would we be in a different place and what different place would we be in? And then how can the church engage today? How can the church engage today, um, you know, so that we're not doing this again 40 or 50 or 60 years from now? So that's just one uh, thought thought conversation that you could have today. Um, consider the, the history in the Old Testament, particularly the cyclical nature of the book of Judges, um, because, you know, if we don't learn, if we don't learn, from the past, we will repeat it, and so for those who think that in the year 2020 we are repeating the year 1968, that is simply a condemnation of the fact that we didn't we didn't learn anything. We did not learn uh, we did not learn the lessons along the way. All right, Peter Kapsner is waiting. He's not really waiting in the wings. He's actually in studio this morning. Uh, I'm a little jealous. He and uh, Paul Perot are together, and in just a moment, Peter and I are going to talk about a, a headline that I have to tell you has a pretty high ick factor for me. There's something called green burial and it includes human composting. Yeah. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Peter Kapsner, welcome back.
1: Ah, oh, thanks, Carmen. It's great to be back with you guys. So fun to be in studio with Paul too, like this. It's just a little sense of normalcy in the in you know early morning hours here.
0: You and Paul together, a sense of It's not normal. I don't at to it's totally be, it be a book. Okay, uh, here's a headline that um, I saw coming because I ha- I know that this has been in the works for some time, <clears throat> but it's now um, you know. It's now available for $5,500. You can have your body composted in Washington mm. for an environmentally friendly burial.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't even know how. When you, when you sent me that headline, I honestly didn't even know how to respond to that. You obviously did see it coming for a bit. I don't know how that cost compares to other forms of burial, whether it be a cremation or a, a traditional coffin sort of funeral. but. It does speak to a change in the winds, doesn't it? I mean, with with the environmentally friendly movement, that I think is understandable on a lot of levels. Uh, to just humans are having an impact on the globe. It just it, it's part of the deal. The the level of that impact and the measure of that impact. Well, that is certainly up for debate. But I know the generation that I teach and, and will start classes here with in about an hour from now. They are very concerned about the environment, so this doesn't surprise me that this would be one of the natural byproducts of that. But you know when you look at it from sort of a theological and church history perspective and i know you know this too right that th- there there was a sanctity of the body even post death that was appropriated for people and and certainly uh, the in, in the jewish tradition you you did want to be buried uh, on the Mount of Olives so that you would be one of the first that would be raised when the Messiah would come. And within the, the Christian and Catholic tradition, uh, too, uh, in which I grew up in the Catholic tradition, you, you, there, it's actually against Catholic dogma to do cremation, at least it was for a very long time historically, because you wanted to have your body ready to be raised. And there really is a sanctity of the body historically that i think carmen is consistent with the resurrection being so much the heart of our faith right and and i don't i just don't think we spend enough time wondering about the corruptible body and the incorruptible body and the relationship between the two and jesus being the first fruits of the resurrection as the biblical text talks about so that's I struggle with that part of it but then in the other part of it the text also says well to dust you shall return and so is is this really a problem that we're composting i i don't know how to think about this one i don't know where you're at with it
0: well i think you've you've raised a number of really important threads. And I think that part of what you and I are always uh, interested in doing is getting people to think beyond what the headline says, or in this case, beyond the ick factor of the headline, (laughs) um, and actually be able then to have a substantive conversation. So the body matters because matter matters. God God intentionally created not only all things, but, but took earth and formed from it man. I mean, right, this one of the one of the creation narratives in terms of how man is made, right, is God literally got his hands dirty and from the earth created Adam and from the rib of Adam created Eve. Um, matter matters because God made it. And and the the human body is a part of that conversation. Jesus took on human flesh. And so the body matters because Jesus bothered to come in a body. There is a body and Jesus bodily rose from the dead and bodily ascended into heaven and is described as seated at the right hand of the Father and is recognizable. He was recognizable when Stephen looked up. He was recognizable. Um I mean he's 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 a recognizable human God. God, right. God you know, he's that he's fully God, fully human. I know it's complex, but he's recognizable as such. Um the body is described as a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we don't worship the body, but it is um it is the vessel in which through which by which we're you know we're we walk in this life and we walk by faith in this life. I mean, I think that this conversation also gets into the ways in which people mutilate their flesh. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, so I don't think we can have this conversation apart from a conversation about um, other other ways in which the body is denigrated.
1: Yeah, I think you bring up a really important point there related to that, because when, when I'm thinking back now, within the Jewish idea of the mind and body and spirit connection, they were all one. I mean, I think mm-hmm. we unfortunately live too often in sort of this dualistic worldview where your spirit is one thing and your body is the other. And, and yet within Jewish thinking, what what is going on in your spirit or what's going on in sort of the seat of your human attitudes and dispositions and values, it does play itself out in, in your visible material body. And, and I think that's why sometimes, you know, you can be around people and they seem to just almost shine differently. They they look different somehow when the, when their spirit is at peace or it's filled with joy and there's there's love coming out. You can see it manifest in their body in certain kinds of ways. So there is a fusion between the two and uh, vice versa. I know somebody who's been a lifelong atheist and, and, and I understand why this person is an atheist simply because of their time spent in military intelligence in the Vietnam War. And, and it really just... Wreaked havoc, obviously, so much on on who this person is, and yet after fifty years of atheism, you you can see that uh, play itself over his body too. There there seems to be sort of a sagging of the body. There is a um there there's a, a falling of his countenance that just doesn't radiate. And and I remember Carmen when one of my mentors finally passed away, she was about 89 years old or so. And, and my wife, Hallie, and I visited her in the hospital in her last couple of days. And her, her whole body at this point was broken with osteoporosis and she had tubes coming out of you know so many different parts of her body. And yet there was a beauty and a wonder about her as somebody who had followed Jesus her whole life in the midst of difficulty and pain and travail. And yet she was really radiant. And so I do think This has a lot of the idea of mutilating our bodies, like you've just said, or self-cutting and self-harm and all of these things. I think we need to to maybe be a little bit more robust in our connections between our spirit and our body and then wonder how does that play itself out with the sanctity of the body after the spirit does leave and is waiting for its resurrected form.
0: All right. I think we have to have conversations um, with one another about the reality of life and death and the body and the disposition of the body. Um, I know that in my family, we have this conversation, you know, in a fairly open way um, because when my dad died, when I was 15, he was actually in a foreign country Mm. and they would not repatriate his body. Um, So he had to be cremated in order for him to come home. And that was... Really, contrary to I mean he was only forty three it was completely unexpected, wow. my mom was already dealing with a lot, um but then to have to have him cremated, where then you know my sister and I and his parents and others would never see him right we would we couldn't see him, we never saw him, yeah, my mom did, but none of us did and so um there is uh there are conversations that that need to be had, must be had. we're certainly not saying that God can't put together the broken pieces and parts you know if you get eaten by an alligator when you die. Um, or a shark, or right, you're right. cremated, or you die in a plane crash. Like, please don't hear Peter and I suggesting that God is not able to perfectly restore whatever it is that he needs to bring back together um, in order to raise you to newness of life. But what we are saying is, if, um, if God has demonstrated that there is a way that he prefers it be done, um, the preservation of the body of Jesus and the attention that the women gave to his body in burial— yeah should signify to us that there is a way that God prefers. And so if we are able to do things in the way in which God has indicated they ought to be done, then then I would say it's probably the way that we should do it. All right. You and I are going to leave this conversation right here because when we come back, um, apparently the earth is not as old as some scientists once imagined that it was, and yet it may still not be as young as others would like for science to discover. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Peter Kapsner is here today. We are we, we love to talk about headlines that, um, frankly, all my other guests are afraid to talk about. And so... <laughs> Uh, Peter, CNN is reporting that the Earth's core is younger than previously believed, according to new research. So um, this is not going to be a conversation about uh, or a debate about old Earth, new Earth. This is going to be a conversation about science being an ongoing conversation with itself about it, about the way it thinks about things, <laughs> and so uh, here 's the lead in the uh, in this article: A billion years may not sound young, but researchers estimating the age of the earth 's core say it could be between one and one point three billion years old, which is at the lower end of previous estimates. Talk with us about. Um, you know, uh, the reality that science is always unsettled.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and it's funny because in this age of the virus, too, we we hear so many people saying what, especially political figures, you know, we're going to trust the science. We're going to trust the scientists. And, and that's such a common phrase at this point. And, and with uh, the caveat that I do really appreciate some of what we've discovered through the methodology of science. My brother is a advanced placement biology teacher at a local high school and teaches down at the University of Minnesota a bit as well and and what I've learned from him from a biological standpoint on some questions that I've had around sexuality and gender and things that I have to teach has been fascinating and, and I've loved it and it's been terribly helpful but on the flip side, if you actually were to take a course at a university like a uh, uh, Philosophy of scientific methodology. So that's a mouthful, and it just simply means the idea of how does science come to a conclusion about a given situation? It's almost, at the very least, would make me chuckle a little bit because the methodology is far more uncertain than what it claims to be sort of in popular culture. The idea of trusting science (laughs) as an infallible conclusion about anything when science itself can be a few billion years off. I mean, that's a pretty big variable, Carmen, to be a few billion years off on something that you thought was settled and established science. And I, I was thinking about this headline in light of a conversation I had when we were overseas at one point with a family friend of ours, and she was dating uh, an astrophysicist of all things from the University of Glasgow. So I had an opportunity to talk to this guy over dinner, and I started asking him questions about quantum physics, because in the quantum physics realm, things that are established realities within physics that we might teach at a high school simply don't make sense. Things like gravity or things like the idea that Uh, an individual atom can suddenly be in two places at the same time within quantum physics. He basically said, what we think we know about the world and all of these laws of physics does not actually match what's going on in the quantum world. And so I asked him, I said, you know, what does that do to the discipline of physics? Do you need to sort of reteach everything? And he said something that I'll never forget at that point. He said, you know, there's too much money, time and research invested in the edifice of science that's been built to this day that to go back and try to tear down that edifice and rebuild it on a new set of assumptions, we simply don't have the wherewithal to do that. And I thought, wow, what, I mean, what a statement, right? All of what we think we know about this world through the lens of science is now being questioned because of what we're seeing in quantum physics. And we don't have the wherewithal to tear down that foundation to begin with. So uh, it, it was a fascinating idea. And even... I kind of chuckled at the methodology they were using to try to figure out what the the age of the earth is relative to what they perceive to be the core of the earth. And, and the whole thing was, was pretty interesting and I think should give us pause in how much we trust science, while at the same time uh, affirming that science has helped us in a great number of ways.
0: One of the things that uh, I, I read in this piece that I First of all, you I learn new words every time. Right. Like, right? I read right. about what scientists are talking about, and I and I realize that I'm not sure that in seventh grade, Mr. Settacassi taught me all that um, <laughs> that maybe uh, there is to know about the Earth. <clears throat> so I didn't even know that the the that the geo dynamo did you even know that the geno dynamo is, the, is that's the middle of the earth i like, have cool, no idea that's right? the
1: first time i've heard people of it people want
0: to know people want to know they're curious according to Zheng fun lin who's a professor uh, on this topic people are curious and excited about knowing about the origin of the geodynamo, the strength of the <laughs> magnetic field because they uh you know because it contributes to the planet's uh, habitability he says so um there are some uh some opportunities here for us to talk about origins. People are interested in conversations about origins. And this isn't just a conversation about the origin of the earth. This is a conversation about the origin of life. And uh, if there is not a creator behind all of it, um, then it really it gets it gets difficult to have a conversation about meaning and purpose.
1: Yeah, it, it really does. There's that phrase that sometimes is used in maybe seminaries or if you're studying the theology of origin, for example, that's called the infinite regress. and And what that means is that uh, how did something get formed to begin with? Well, there had to be something that preceded it that led to the formation of that. So if it was a star, there had to be gases. And, and you keep regressing back with what preceded that and that and that. Eventually, um, you have to get to source. You have to get to creator or else you have to live in the tension of what's called infinite regress where – you're always going back further and further and further and further, but that just becomes an infinite game. And, it, and it's one of the most powerful arguments for the existence of God is that at some point you have to land on source. You can't just regressing, keep regressing back before this was created or this was created or this created. There needs to be an origin source. And, and I know there's counter arguments to that, but I find that those counter arguments are not anywhere near as compelling as the idea uh, of a source of an origin that brought all of this into existence.
0: All right, um, Peter, any final observations on uh, that you want to make um, on this conversation about old earth, new earth, and <laughs> maybe somewhere in between?
1: Well, it is sort of the litmus test, isn't it, uh, for some people in terms of the authority of Scripture? And, and believe it or not, it comes up into my class all the time. People say, so if science says the earth is a billion years old, and yet the scriptural witness of Genesis 1 is that it was created in seven days. It's either like 10,000 years old or, you know, it's a billion. And how do you rectify the two? And one way people can think about it, if they want to explore this further, is that that word day in the Hebrew language is the Hebrew word yom. It's spelled Y-O-M if you transliterate it into English. And yom can mean one of two things in, in Hebrew language. It can mean a literal 24-hour period, or it also can mean an age of indeterminate length. And, so, uh, and those are both legitimate ranges of meaning. The scripture... Remains authoritative in either case. And, and so listeners can go research that on their own if they want, but it's YOM for day. And I remember when I was teaching an intro to Bible course when I first got started in 2004 and I asked my department chair and I said, what do you do with this young earth, old earth kind of theology and theory with your students? He said, you know, Peter, the reality is, is that the Bible is not trying to teach us how The earth was made as opposed to who made the earth and and the central theological origin of that. Who is God related to us? That was the question the scriptures are trying to answer. They weren't trying to answer the scientific questions. And so he said, I don't even teach this at all. I try to center my teaching around the who as opposed to the how. And I thought that was a pretty interesting way to look at it.
0: Peter Kapsner, as always, thank you so much. It's always a joy to talk with you. Um, I'd say give you know give Paul a hug, but I don't think
1: we're allowed. To do <laughs> I'm going to stay yet, seven feet so. away from yeah, where yeah, I am exactly, right now. Yeah, no, that's exactly, okay, dude. That's
0: exactly. okay air hugs, air hugs, <laughs> air all kinds of air hugs. <laughs> Love all right, it. hey, we'll be right back. <laughs> Nigel Anderson uh, has a, a professional name as a hip hop artist. Uh, he is a, a legend. L-E-G-I-N. He is a pastor in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, He formed something called the HR Collective four years ago, bringing together church and community leaders in Hampton Roads, um, which is a predominantly African-American community, but um, where race and unity are conversations like every community in the country where, you know, Christians need to engage and lead. And so following the death of George Floyd, Um, legend uh, actually led a prayer march. Some 5,000 people participated, and that march then led to the creation of In This Moment. Um, And so we're going to talk about all of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
2: Millions facing the chill of empty pockets or the fears of sudden change turn to Christ. Why? Because he's been there. This is Max Locato. He's been to Nazareth, where he made deadlines and paid bills, to Jerusalem, where he stared down critics and stood up against cynics. We have our Nazareth's as well, and Jesus wasn't the last to build a team, and accusers didn't disappear with Jerusalem's temple. <laughs> Why seek Jesus to help with your challenges? Because he's been there. But most of all, he's been to the grave, not as a visitor, but as a corpse, body wrapped in grave seal, buried. You haven't yet, but you will be. And since you will, don't you need someone who knows the way out? God has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, a way to have life that cannot be destroyed. This is Max Lucado.
3: What are you afraid of? Well, go do it anyway. What are you waiting on? You better fear not. Say you better fear
0: not. joining me now no nigel God legend anderson yeah. Yeah. he's a pastor he is a hip-hop artist he's an activist i would say he's a potster he's also a husband and a dad he's my brother in christ welcome legend to mornings with carmen
3: hey carmen thanks for having me
0: okay so can we start with your name because, yeah, um, yeah. so um, Legend is Nigel in reverse, which led me to Google what my name in reverse would be. And Carmen is Nimrak, and Nimrak is not good. <laughs> you
3: sound like a little good Thor, <laughs> Thor villain. That's what it is. It is. You know, Marvel, it totally. Yeah, it's, a it's, totally
0: it's a Marvel character villain. No doubt yeah. about it. All right. Talk about, <laughs> um, talk about taking your name, reversing the letters and uh, uh, using that as your, um, you know, as your performance identity.
3: I mean, that was always a rap name I had back, you know, even before I knew Christ. But then when I met Christ, it just became symbolic of him flipping my life around. So mm. I just kept it. Oh,
0: Sometimes I love I just, that.
3: Just flipped my life around. That's the point.
0: Uh, see, I, I figured there was a, there was a really good answer to the question. So, um, so that's awesome. <laughs> Tell us, um, so, you know, let me just go ahead and and say to people in case they don't know this about you, um, Legend is a black man. He lives in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, he's married. He's got kids. He's a pastor. He's a community. He, he's a community organizer in a really positive way. When I use the um, when I use that language, I want to um, I want to indicate what that means to people. Talk with us about um, this. Is not new for you. Getting people together to uh, to the full force of their life together against something that is dark and bringing light to it. Um, this is not new for you. You are doing it now in uh, in the conversations at the intersection of of race and reconciliation and faith in America. But this is not new for you. Take us back a few years and talk with us about um, efforts related to Safe House.
3: Sure. So we uh, well, Safe House is is different from the race and reconciliation thing. That's, an anti human trafficking organization, but that that organization started because I went on a mission trip to South Africa and the uh, the the orphan care center we were working in was a beautiful place where they were rescuing these kids, and I asked the, the owners of it what what's next and she said, We need a safe house and i said mm-hmm. what 's that and then she began to explain the dark realities of these children who, as they grow and develop, become targets for traffickers and just all types of evil and injustice so Uh, My friends and I, we, you know, I'm the father, I'm looking at kids, my kid's age, and I'm like, I can't imagine. So I didn't know what to do. I just make music. So my friends and I made an album called It Safe House and put it out to raise awareness to hopefully help them get the safe house built. And in the process of doing that, some of my friends around it, around me, Christy and Brittany, they said, hey, how do we make this an organization that not only finishes and funds this safe house forever, but expands nationally to the states here where there's 300,000 kids a year who are victims of trafficking in the states. And so we formed the organization called safe House Project, uh, safehouseproject.org, and that became official in 2018. And we put up the building in South Africa in 2019, and we've been funding and uh, funding safe houses here in the States and adding beds to the national landscape so that when kids break free from trafficking, they have somewhere to go and rehabilitate. And uh, so that's become an organization. But it started with a hip hop album, uh, bringing, bringing light to a very, very dark place and saying we can do this if we lock arms together. So
0: that Well, and I wanted to start there, legend, um, so that our conversation uh going forward has some has some foundation for people. Um because it seems as if God gets a hold of your heart and and then he gives you some music and then um, he <laughs> stirs up he stirs up some other people uh and and that seems to be what's happening um in this in this contemporary conversation um, I know you have a four song EP releasing, I think Friday. I don't know. maybe it's already out. You're gonna have to help me there. Um, in this moment, um talk yes. with us about this project and then how this project came to be because it's there's a little bit of a similar um similar path.
3: Well, yes, ma'am. I, we we did um, my pastor and I, we always talked about these issues. We you know a lot of churches kind of duck their head or they get in their little political co- corners where they deal with it a certain way. And But we always just dealt with it straight up because my pastor's white. We've been friends for years, and we talked about it. So we talked about it just on stage at church and made our church wrestle with it. And um, then four summers ago, uh, Philander Castile out in Sterling and his 9 Dallas officers were all murdered in close proximity to each other. And for lack of better terms, and unfortunately so, everybody on all sides of the debate of is there a race problem in America, everybody cared. People that were on the sides of cops were, were hurting. People that were on the sides of unarmed black men were hurting. And everybody was hurting. And we brought it up, and it did something uh, amazing in our church, the way we dealt with it. So we called a bunch of other churches and said, hey, how are y'all dealing with this? How are you talking to your people about it? And the overwhelming response from most of our churches is, we don't know what to say. We're not saying anything. If I say the wrong thing, I'm going to step on the landmine. And so we said, hey, let's meet us, and let's talk about it. So the next three days later, about 40 pastors showed up and we never stopped meeting. So we started an organization called Hampton Road City Collective to help faith leaders dialogue and deal with how do we address these issues uh, in a gospel-centered way and in a non-politically idolatrous way. Um, And along the way, I'm making music where I'm talking about it and mentioning it here and there, because I've always been talking about this. I'm a Black man in America. I've had to live this. Um, But, you know, recently... With everything this year, with Floyd and and, and Breonna Taylor, Matt Arbery, now that you know all the things that are going on, and even the stuff that doesn't make national news, um, I just we we led a march of churches in our city after George Floyd. A hundred churches showed up, five thousand people came out, and we marched at uh, City Hall, proclaiming Jesus and proclaiming justice because we need both. And out of that endeavor, I was inspired to write this album called "In This Moment." Um, I hit a little bit of a depression after that effort and out of that, just, just, just tension. Um, I just went to the studio and I just poured my heart out and then this EP came.
0: All right. And it's already released. I'll, I'll admit to you, this is not my genre of expertise.
3: <laughs> <It's all good. laughs> I make, I make <laughs> me, I try to make music, um, for people that if you're not in the faith, you you get it, and I I write it in mind like if you don't go to church, do you hear what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I also write it in mind like if you don't listen to hip hop, do you get what I'm saying? Because I want to I want I want the content to get out, so I get you.
0: Absolutely. All right. So um the uh the new EP mm-hmm. um is um is is out. It is available. Where's the easiest place for people to to find it? Where are they going to find in this moment?
3: Anywhere digital music is sold. See, so digital music. I know, so
0: I know, so we have to say that because so when we talk about we talk about music today, and we talk about the release of an EP, and we talk about there being you know a limited number of songs on it. I'll tell you, there are people listening right now are like, I don't know, is that a whole record? Um, Is that (laughs) a whole CD? But so we're talking about digital music. Um, you've been at this long enough um, to to be able to give us a little insight into the changing landscape of of music and how it is uh, distributed and disseminated. So when we come back from a very brief break, Legend, will you just give us a little window into the world of, of music production and distribution today?
3: Sure. Whatever you'd like to know, Great. I can help.
0: All right. We'll be right back. I'm talking with Legend Anderson.
3: We can go on mission, build safe houses, rescue women, clothe the homeless, feed the hungry. Care for those in sickness. Visit prison. Serve the poor orphaned and widowed.
1: Build pregnancy centers. Be the hands and feet of Jesus.
0: Continuing my conversation with Legend, you can find him as Nigel Anderson. He is a pastor in Norfolk, Virginia. He is uh, an artist, musician. He's a husband and a dad. He's a community organizer. He formed the HR Collective in Hampton Roads, um, and he has just released a new digital uh, EP called In This Moment. We are talking about the intersection of race and reconciliation and how people of faith must engage. Um, I will describe Legend as uh, a person who does not sound angry, but is activated. um, And yet I feel confident um, his heart hurts as we continue to struggle uh, as a nation, as a church, um, as people of faith in the context of severe racial brokenness um, in our country today. So again, Legend, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Um, for people who really have no understanding whatsoever of what goes on in the music industry today, um, just talk with us a little bit about the process of producing and distributing music and just because it's radically changed um, from yesteryear. Yeah.
3: I mean, yes, yeah, it's just the making the music the same. It's, it's uh, you know, when you have the, when you have it finished, you just go to a, a digital distributor, uh, you know, be it, be it a TuneCore or somebody like that or CD Baby, and you just really upload the music to them and you select which stores you want it in, and then they put it in the Spotify's, the Titles, uh, and, uh, you know, Pandora's, the Apple Music's, and all of that stuff. And then, you know, that typically the way people consume music is through streaming sites. Streaming sites have drastically cut down um, the finances for the artists but drastically increase the opportunity for exposure through algorithms that suggest that music to other people. The more people listen to certain types of music, so um, it, it's a it can be a win for the artist for residuals. But it's a uh, you know it's it's a killer on the front end when uh, you know when you start to just give cash right to the artist and, and, and buy records. But um, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, you just go get it off any digital outlet. Uh, you can purchase it still through like Google Play and iTunes and download it, or you can just stream it through like Spotify's and uh, titles and things like
0: that. So in relationship to the the conversations that um, we should have been having at the level we're having them now, we should have been having these conversations all along. We have, we have tried and failed um, to yes. as Christians to talk honestly about um, the strangeness. I mean, it's strangeness you and I as a white woman and a black man, because we are in Christ we are brother and sister, and we stand on equal footing at creation, at the cross, in the kingdom, um, and, and you are no less made in the image of God than me, and I am no less redeemed in Christ than you. Um, mm-hmm. But why are we having such a hard time just talking with one another and moving forward?
3: I think, I think the misconception is we think that this is a new conversation. Mm. One of the sca- one of the scariest things that you and I can do is is really read the words of Dr. Martin Luther King and realize that he, it sounds like he wrote it all last week. Mm. Um, it's, it doesn't feel like something he wrote in the '60s. It feels like something he wrote in response to what we're seeing now, which scares us on the progress we think we've made. Uh, and the challenge that we have in the church is that we thought we were done with it, so we don't need to talk about it anymore. There's two there's two sides to the church's role in this. One is the fact that we wouldn't be where we are without the church. That when you look at the folks who really pushed civil rights forward, it was you know Southern Christian Leadership Conference and Western Christian, and all these movements of people who clung to their faith, um, black leaders who were stamping up and white leaders who said, I can't let you do this alone and rose up with them and took the blows with them. It really changed the course of this country. Um, on the other hand, you have the part of the church that allowed the system to exist in the first place. And Christians who were saying this is okay, this is the status quo, whatever, whatever. So you had people fighting uh, the church with the actual gospel that Jesus preached to move it forward. So fast forward to where we are, um, we think that we finished it and we fixed it, but there are systems in place, mass incarcerations, disproportionate things like that, privatized prison systems, all those things. And the problem is when a situation arises publicly because it's no, it's no longer you can't say. I'm cool with segregation anymore. you just won't survive the p r war so those things go underground um uh, but when they pop up, the problem is the church thinks we've done we've dealt with it, so pastors aren't saying anything, and it underscores the narrative of some segments of the church don't care so we feel like this is a a lot of my a lot of my friends who aren't black and haven't had to go through some of these conversations like in home and what do you do when you get pulled over and all that they think this is this is new. They're like, where did this come from? And black people are like, we knew this was coming all along. You know what I'm saying? So it's Mm -hmm. just, it's kind of like, the challenge is just that the the most heartbreaking thing for me is when you see a blatant injustice, right? Whether you think Mm -hmm. it's a one-off or you think it's a stream of other things, you see a blatant injustice and all of your favorite white pastors and theologians fall dead silent and don't say a word about it. But to speak about an injustice on a mission or to speak about an injustice politically, but when it comes to things that affect black and brown people they are like, let's be quiet about it until it blows over. That's one of the most heartbreaking things um, in the world to me, because we're brothers. We're going to spend eternity together forever.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But mm-hmm. but right here, you won't speak up for me now because it doesn't fit your political candidate's platform. And you don't want to be, you don't want to get a bad email from your, from your titles that hurts. And that's kind of how it feels sometimes. I know not everybody feels that way. I've got way too many white pastor friends who have taken blows because they've said things. But um we're still talking about it because it's still an issue. Um if you want to speak against the rioting as you should, if you want to speak against the defamation of property as you should, don't forget to speak against the issues that caused the rioting in the first place, as you should. And that's the challenge that we have. Um we gotta we gotta speak against both like Jesus did, like Dr. King did. We gotta we gotta do both.
0: And we have to never um, grow weary in the doing of that good,
3: yes, and it's very easy to do that
0: uh, well, and i well and I mean I can say that um from you know from my particular platform and position um and and because what we do here on this program is headline driven you know there is going to be a headline, i mean sadly, tragically, Always. there is going to be a headline um to which I can point every day, and I can lift up the issue and the concern you're mm-hmm. you are living this reality. Um, and in the midst of this, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to live life and you're trying to lead and you're trying to raise a family. And so um, so even as you say to me, you know, don't grow weary in doing this good, um, I hope that I can encourage you to also not grow weary in the good that um, God obviously has you doing.
3: Well, I I appreciate that ever. That means a lot. I can't hear that enough. So thank you for telling
0: me that. Absolutely. Um, Legend, thank you, um, among other things, for uh, teaching me that I could turn my name around and at least see what kind of (laughs) email there would be. Um, And uh, thank you. uh, Thank you so much for what you're doing um, in the Safe House Project. Thank you for uh, what you're doing in the HR Collective and moving the conversation forward in your own community, um, but also through your music, helping helping all of us. Blessings on you and your wife and your uh, and your kids.
3: Same to you, Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. I
0: appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it as well. We'll be right back. What do you
3: mean? He I mean, looked back at me. Go follow your dreams.
0: All right, let's uh, continue to be not only praying today for people on the front lines of all kinds of conversations across the country. Let's also be praying for uh, people in the path of Hurricane Laura, she is continuing to, uh, to bring water and wind and devastation um, up, up through Louisiana, and she's going to move on to, uh, to other parts of the country as well. But, you know, living in the path of a storm is where we always live. The rain will come, the, uh, the, the wind will blow, the water will rise. The question is, upon what kind of foundation is your house built? Um, And this is a good day for you and I to consider the foundation of our lives because for all of us, whether we be Christians or not, the rains come, the waters rise, the wind blows, and beats against our house. Um, Today, let your life be be built on the firm foundation, the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know how to do that, we would love to introduce you to him and have that conversation. You can reach out to us at MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you so much for listening today to Mornings with Carmen. Grab the podcast later at MyFaithRadio.com and share today's show with someone new. That makes you a radio missionary. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.